0: Let me invite you this morning. To, uh, this morning is a standalone sermon, a standalone sermon. So let me invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. And we'll look there uh, before long, look at various texts, this one being the key text. Let me invite you to do what was, uh, what was once more common, maybe not as common today, and that is to stand for prayer. Would you join me in, if you're physically able, and stand for prayer? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for my brothers and sisters here. Thank you that we brothers and sisters in Christ can call you God our Father as Ray was just leading us. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Lord, we would see Jesus this morning. We pray that we would see that Christianity is a matter of the heart and not a matter of externals. Help us to see that. Help us also to see that the grace of God that transforms our hearts, ends up transforming everything, including externals. Help us to get the cart and the horse in the right direction, so to speak. And again, Lord, may we truly rejoice in light of the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. hear uh, hear the word of the Lord. That's why we're here. That's what we do by God's grace. We gather to hear from God through his word. We want to do today uh, what we really want to do every Sunday, and that's to preach the gospel of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me read to you a passage from Scripture. But the Lord said to Samuel, this is not First uh, Peter 3. We'll get there. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Many of you know that passage. Let me read that second half of that again. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. I said it was a standalone sermon today as we take First Peter 3 as our key text. I want to speak to you this morning uh, on the subject of modesty. Modesty. As we all know, uh, it's uh, just two short weeks away until we have summer here in Goldsboro. And so that, among other things, prompts me to speak on this subject of modesty. You've heard the name Ellen White, perhaps. Ellen White, she was a founder of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. She claimed to have had a vision in the 1860s where she was shown some skirts which were somewhere between 8 to 10 inches from the floor. She wasn't sure exactly which it was, so she chose nine inches for uniformity's sake and sought to make it a rule among Seventh-day Adventists. This rule, from Ellen White, caused so much strife and division that eventually she said that the vision had just been for herself personally and not meant for others. Well, that's convenient, right? (laughs) The title of the sermon this morning is Modesty and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I have two headings this morning. In between those two headings, I have a brief interlude. The second heading this morning is this. The second heading is Modesty and the Gospel of Jesus Christ, which is also, as I've already said, the title this morning. Can I say, in all seriousness, that this is a sermon for all people, believer and unbeliever, women and men. Please do not tune me out insofar as I am faithful to the Word of God. This is, as I say, for men and women, for young and old, for the church, for all, and may the Lord help us. Modesty in the gospel of Jesus Christ Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Really, the heart of what I want to say this morning uh, might very well be this. The heart of what I want to say is that this gives us the opportunity, really, it really does, to speak about the gospel. All of us, all of us need to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. All of us do. I share something with you from my study that I thought was so helpful. Listen to this. This man writing this little booklet says this, to whom is this booklet addressed? He's writing about modesty. To whom is this booklet addressed? I suppose to every reader who wears clothing. However, it seems that we tend to direct messages like this at younger women. Part of what I want to do is just disarm you for a moment, okay? It seems that we Tend to direct messages like this at younger women. This strikes me as inappropriate. The message in this booklet is aimed primarily at husbands and fathers, who are the God ordained leaders of families. When I see a Christian teenager who is immodestly dressed, my first thought is where is the father? Why is the father asleep at the wheel? When a married Christian woman does not dress modestly, my first thought is, why is the husband so unconcerned with the Bible's teaching regarding modest clothing? A man has a God-given responsibility to protect his wife and children. Immodest clothing invites the wrong kind of people to pay the wrong kind of attention to our family members. In addition, improper apparel is sometimes a way to express sensuality in an inappropriate manner. Men, we dare not ignore these matters. I personally found that helpful, and as I said, I want to I disarm you in a bit in that regard. Let us look. As I've already told you, the second heading is the same as the title, Modesty in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Heading number one, two headings and a brief interlude in between. Heading number one, 1 Peter 3. First Peter 3. What I want to say about this heading is this. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Let me say it again. Listen, listen to me. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, just in case you're mincing my words there, what I'm doing is just taking it straight out of Scripture. Just to think, is he talking about polygamy? Husbands, live with your wives? No, he's talking to husbands in the gathered congregation, right? He says, husbands, plural, live with your wives, each one of you, All funniness aside, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Appreciate what Ray shared from the heart about prayer this morning. Men, we should be concerned about prayer. And we should know that as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, number one, is that you here this morning? Are you a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? We should know that our prayers will be hindered if we do not. Live with our wives in an understanding way. Live with her as the weaker vessel. As a partaker, a a co-heir of the grace of life. We should be concerned about our prayers. And we should know that the Bible says, in almost an interesting way, your prayers will be hindered. Well, so look at 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. We will we will look at the main passage in the Bible, the one key verse in the Bible that talks about modesty. Even though the word modesty is used uh, very few times in the Bible, the, the idea of modesty is certainly not just a couple of times. It is, uh, it is much more in the Bible than just the word modesty. You know what I mean there. This passage, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, does not contain the word modesty, but it does speak to the issue of modesty. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. Now look at it with me. Let's hear the word of the Lord. 1 Peter 3, 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, Peter writes, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external. You see that? The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But, verse 4, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. That phrase is extremely rare in Scripture, very precious. He speaks of it there. Verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Heading number one is first Peter three. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Look at that at verse 7. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 7 is a unit. It talks about marriage. It talks about wives and husbands. He gives six verses to wives. But even though he only gives one verse to husbands, it is an important verse. He finishes. This is the last thing he says in this unit. Likewise, 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands, Live with your wives in an understanding way. Literally, you know what? Literally, live with her according to knowledge. Live with her according to knowledge. Knowledge of what? Well, knowledge of your specific wife. I think he explains when you just keep reading. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. 1 Peter 3, 1-7 is one of the key texts that speaks to us about our subject today, that subject being modesty, Christian, uh, Christian modesty. As I say, the last thing he says even though disproportionate in amount of material given to it, even though it's only one verse to husbands, he says, pay attention and don't assume that if you mistreat your wife, that your prayers will be heard. No, they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Husbands, live with your wives. Crossway husbands, live with your wives according to knowledge. Well, what is this passage about? What would what's the message of this passage in, in summary? Can I show you something? Can I show you Verse eighteen of chapter three? 1 Peter three eighteen for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Look down at the middle of verse 21. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Would you notice the gospel in 1 Peter 3, 18 and 18 through 21? Would you see and would you consider Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the reigning and risen Lord, the conquering King, the Lord of all the nations. Would you see in verse 18, Christ suffered for sins. Why? To bring you to God. Did you know that Jesus died on the cross to bring you to God? Are you reconciled to God? Would you also notice the gospel very quickly with me in chapter 2? Would you look at chapter 2, verse 21? For to this you have been called, believers, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Are you alive right now to your sin and dead to God? Or are you alive to God and dead to your sin? It doesn't mean that Christians will not continue to struggle with sin. Absolutely we will. But a Christian is someone who is dead to sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus, by his wounds you have been healed. Four, verse 25, you were straying, this is chapter 2 still, you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. My friend, if you have never repented of your sins and trusted in the man who was crucified on the tree, the Son of God, look to Christ. Look to Christ. Christianity is not first and foremost about externals. Christianity affects externals. We don't say, I don't listen to a sermon on modesty because that's legalistic. That's wrong. We don't say, I don't listen to a sermon on modesty because it's unnecessary. That's wrong. Christianity is not first and foremost about externals. Christianity is about the heart. It's about Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, and that will affect your life in every way. If you say holiness, too much talk about holiness, smacks of legalism. It might be that you don't see that the New Testament says you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. The Lord Jesus died to purchase for himself a people that he would purify to be the people of God. We cannot purify ourselves. It must be his death on the cross. His blood is what makes us to be white as snow, not our works. So do you just notice the gospel at the end of chapter three, at the end of chapter two, it is beautiful. Christ is beautiful. Women are beautiful. And God does not look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And so what is this passage about? Well, you could say that this passage has mainly to do with as Peter often points out, hard cases. Peter directs the reader of his letter to different types of hard cases. One of these hard cases, listen to me, is when a believing Christian woman lives with a pagan husband. And I don't just use the word pagan just to say how awful he is, but just as a matter of fact, one of the hard cases in life is specifically addressed here. When a believing woman lives with an unbelieving husband, and what he's clearly saying here is, you need to be careful because you might think that the best thing to do is, chat, 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 and I'm going to convince this man, and I'm, I'm going to win him over, and I'm just going to maybe even speak incessantly. And he says, maybe, maybe the better idea is to let your words be few. Maybe, as James says, faith apart from works is useless. And so, your words are important in this particular case, and your faith is absolutely important, but absolutely, your works are important. Your faith based works. I'm not going to linger long over here, but just let the text, it's not hard to understand. As said so many times, right? So many times, it's not that the Bible is hard to understand it's that many, many, many of its teachings are hard for us to swallow. So many of its teachings are just crystal clear. We just don't like them in our sinful flesh, right? And so uh, verse one, likewise wives. I I don't think this is only, this is clearly not just speaking to the situation that I mentioned. In other words, this paragraph is not just for uh, women who are married to an unbeliever. Nevertheless, that's, Important, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word. Notice the play on words. If they do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. By the way, I don't preach this sermon because I think we've got some big problem here at Crossway Church. I, I think of our church and I think of uh I don't I don't envision people coming to worship service and, and providing an avenues of temptation. I think there's a, a lot of cherishing Christian modesty. But but he says in verse 4 to Christian wives, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children. I mean, that, that's got to mean something to you. If, if when Peter says you are her children, if you don't embrace it, if you don't love that, then that might, it might be a, an issue because it's the, and you are her children. Like that's that's what I want. That that that's what I want as a Christian woman. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Let me just point out here the repetition of the word. You know the word, you know what I'm about to say? Don't answer out loud. Do you look at this verses 3 through 5? What's the word I'm about to say over and over and over again? Verse 3, do not let your adorning be external Verse 4, but let your adorning, modesty is not just about what you shouldn't wear, it's about what you should wear. It's not, it's not just don't do this, it's about all of you. Listen, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility. All of you. Verse 3, adorning. Verse 4, adorning. Verse five, this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. You see that adorning? I gave Chrissy a book years ago, uh, Nancy Lee DeMoss. I think she got married for the first time at age 56. She's now Wagamoth is her last name. Goes from DeMoss to Wagamoth. Hey, you know, and uh, she wrote a book called Adorned. It's got a pretty white cover. I haven't read it. Um, It's for women. (laughs) I don't know. It's about Titus 2. And uh, this is a very important word in the Bible, adorned, and you see it there. I've just pointed out very quickly three things in 1 Peter 3. One of them is the heading, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. The second thing under this first heading that I pointed out is what is this passage about? In one sense, in one sense it's, it's, it's mainly about Christian wives living with pagan husbands and how best to win them, which is not what you might think initially. And then the third thing that I point out and we're getting ready to leave this passage is adorned, adorned, adorning. The title of this sermon is Modesty in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our second heading, but first the interlude. Let me give you very quickly some passages. Here's the the interlude. Some passages from Proverbs and one from Corinthians. And you don't have to turn there. I think these will be on the screen. These don't say the word modesty. They pertain to our subject. Proverbs 31:30. Proverbs 31:30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Proverbs 11:22. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Proverbs 31:25. Strength and dignity are her clothing. Remember, modesty is just, it's not about what you shouldn't, don't wear this, it's about what you should wear. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. Proverbs 7, verse 10, Proverbs 7, 10, and behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. First Corinthians 12, 23, he's on it, why am I looking, he's on it. 1 Corinthians twelve twenty three and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Paul Gardner says this, the word unpresentable, you can keep that up there for just a second, the word unpresentable refers to that which is not worth looking at. It becomes clear that Paul is thinking of the genital area, which, as all know, functions in a variety of utterly essential ways. The fact is that those parts of the body that seem weaker only seem to be so since they are actually indispensable. Listen to the context. This is not on the screen, but listen to the context of this verse. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we'd bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Again, parts of the body that are unpresentable are actually utterly essential. Well, that's the interlude, Proverbs and Corinthians. We could have looked at other verses. Turn with me to First Timothy 2. First Timothy chapter 2. This is often considered the classic text on modesty. Heading number one, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. 1 Peter chapter 3. Heading number two, the gospel, excuse me, modesty and the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have two passages to look at under this second heading. You only have to turn to this one. Modesty and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the classic text. uh, 1 Timothy 2.9. 1 Timothy 2.9. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls of costly attire. I don't know if you noticed here in 1 Timothy 2.9, it says not. By the way, it actually begins with the positive, right? Here's your wardrobe. Don't let this be your wardrobe. Braided hair and gold pearls or costly attire. By the way, he's not saying to not have a hairdo or to not wear jewelry because if that were the case, he'd also be saying don't wear clothes, right? He's not saying don't wear clothes, don't have a hairdo, don't, don't wear jewelry. Moderation, right? It's funny, you can laugh. You don't have to be like one person said, you don't have to be like Amelia Bedelia if you know the kids' books who took everything extremely literally and woodenly. So you told her to make a sponge cake, and she put a sponge in the cake. If you notice there at the end of verse 9 is exactly what Peter was talking about. Braided hair, gold, pearls, costly attire. That's the exact same thing he was talking about there. Let me give you just a little bit of background. We are told, listen to this, we are told that in the first century, a new type of woman emerged. In the Greco-Roman world, a new type of woman emerged in the first century. This new woman bucked, B-U-C-K-E-D, the trend, and was free of sexual constraints, and her attire reflected her promiscuous lifestyle. You wear what you are, end quote. You wear what you are. And I think it's, it's also been said, I think this is right, that what you wear reciprocally ends up shaping who you are. You wear what you are and what you wear affects your attitude, your maybe your self-confidence, things like that. This passage in 1 Timothy 2, much like 1 Peter 3, if you remember the end of 1 Peter 3, if you remember the end of 1 Peter 2, it's all about the gospel. I'm not saying that verse 9 is, is directly the gospel message. That's not what I'm saying at all. But would you look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3? Please look at verse 3. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. What is? To pray for President Biden, to pray for Governor Cooper, pray for VP Harris, to pray for our local... This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. 1 Timothy 2.4, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth, for there is one God... And there is one mediator between God and men. It's not Mary. It's not the person who has modesty down to a T. There's one mediator, and it is Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time for this. For what, Paul? For the gospel. I was appointed a preacher, and apostle, I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. There is a sense. There is a sense in which all of us are naked and which all of us need to be clothed with the robes of righteousness, which God alone provides through Jesus Christ. You need a robe. You need a robe of righteousness provided by God through faith in Jesus Christ. Please see again the gospel beginning there in verse 3, but then look at verse 8. We absolutely should talk about modesty in relation to women and men. But the temptation to immodesty is particularly a feminine temptation. Just like perhaps the temptation to argumentativeness is particularly masculine. Verse 8. I desire then that in every place the men should pray. You see how it addressed men in Peter and how he's addressing men here. Lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Stop your bickering. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. But here's your, here's your clothing. But with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Not only do we see at the end of verse 9, at the end of verse 9, the same negative clothing that Peter addressed, pretty much exactly the same, but did you notice there in verse 9, the same key word, adorn. You see it there? That women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel. What's that? It's good works. Good works. You can read more about that in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Uh, you, should, you should know what it's what it sh- going to take, so to speak, If you're not currently over the age of 60, you should know that if you become a widow, what it would mean for you to be enrolled biblically on the list of widows. We don't talk about stuff like that these days. But 1 Timothy 5 says, here's how your life should have looked looked like by God's grace if you would be enrolled on the church's list of widows over the age of 60. It's things like showing hospitality and being all about good works. Modesty is an issue, listen, modesty is, is an issue of stewardship. Where do we spend the bulk of our time and money? Where do we spend the bulk of our time and money? This goes for all of us. It's an issue of stewardship. It's not saying don't wear decent clothes and don't have a decent hair and, don't, and, don't, and jewelry. It's not saying I've already established that. But let your life, and this of course is for every believer, be characterized by good works. Be characterized by good works that women should adorn themselves. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Modesty and the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have to turn there. If I read a verse, I wonder if you know in your mind what the story is if I just read one verse. Hint, hint. I'm right here in this part of the Bible. If I read one verse, do you know the story? Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew, listen, they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Well, that's Genesis chapter 3. We call it the fall with a capital F, when our first parents, Adam and Eve, against God, when they rebelled, when they did what every single one of us do, rebel in their hearts against God, which affected their actions. Again, I say it's called the fall. Let me just read it one more time. Then the eyes of both were open. They knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. But listen to verse 21. If you're familiar with the, with the Bible, you know this. I want you to hear it if you're not as well. Everybody listen to this gospel in the book of Genesis, the gospel in the Old Testament. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. I say that's the gospel in the Old Testament. Say what? Listen to it again. The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Who clothed them? He clothed them. All of us are naked as it were and in need of the clothing that only God can provide, which is the righteousness of Christ. By His death on the cross, and by His life of perfect obedience, through faith in God, through Jesus Christ, we receive what does not properly belong to us, which is the very righteousness of God through Christ. And the Lord Jesus takes what does not properly belong to Him, which is the sin of the world, the sin of all of His people, the sin of everyone who will ever repent and believe, He takes our sin. He dies as our substitute. We take his righteousness. It's called the great exchange. The righteousness of Christ. We need to be justified. We need to be made right with God. No, not made right with God. We need to be declared right with God. We need to legally be declared right with God. And you can be through faith in Christ. It's on the basis of Christ. It's on what he has done. Do you see in Genesis chapter three? Do you see they pitifully, pitifully try to clothe themselves? I joked with my brother this morning about Calvin Klein. The first clothing designer was Adam and Eve, and they got this fig leaf to cover their genital area. And it was pitiful. And the Lord said, that's not going to work. And in his great grace and mercy, I don't want to press this too far, nor too little in his great grace and mercy, the Lord says, nope. I will clothe you. And I agree with those interpreters. I agree with them when they say, doesn't it seem obvious that this animal clothing that God gave to them would have required the death of an animal? Genesis 3.21, by the way, is what I keep reading. He made them skins and clothed them. All of us, no, no, all of us are naked as it were and in need of the clothing of the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. We come to him by faith alone, or we do not come to him at all. It is not by our works, but by his grace. We need his righteous robes. Please consider this morning the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, I don't say please consider like, would you please give Jesus a chance? That's not what I mean. Consider the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to Christ. Look away from your efforts of perfect modesty. Look to Christ. We saw the gospel in 1 Timothy 2. We saw the gospel in 1 Peter 3. It's beautiful this clothing, the gospel in in Genesis chapter 3, look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me close with this. I think it I think it's Eddie. You know Eddie's preaching for many months. Serving a church in Wilson, I think he's the one who gets us these free grace broadcasters, which you can find out in the foyer. Uh, we don't have many of these, so maybe we can order some. This one's about modest apparel. I found it really helpful. If you'd like, in the study this week, I came across a lot of helpful things. I'm happy to share if you if you like certain articles and things like that. Let me close with this. These are not my words, but I'd ask you to listen carefully. Above all. Above all, we men must learn to govern our hearts and eyes, right? We men must learn to govern our hearts and eyes, as well as to teach our wives and children the proper principles of modesty. Although women are vulnerable to wearing lavish or sensual apparel, their fathers and husbands are ultimately responsible for what the women in their homes wear. You want to ship? My dad was in the Navy. The lowest guy on the totem pole in that ship does something stupid that affects the whole ship. There is a sense. There is a sense in which the captain, the top dog of that ship, is still responsible. Did the captain commit the sin? No. He's not guilty of direct sin. He's responsible for the ship. The low guy on the totem pole did something stupid. He's the one who committed the sin. If we balk at this, we might balk at the gospel, the federal covenant headship of Adam and of Christ. Although women are vulnerable to wearing lavish or sensual apparel, their fathers and husbands are ultimately responsible for what their women in their homes wear. Mothers, teach your daughters about modesty, including specifics. Mothers, why wouldn't you do this? Why wouldn't you teach your daughters about modesty, including specifics? Young men, do not marry a woman who is given, emphasis given, to immodesty. Young men, don't marry a woman who is given to immodesty. Fathers, you are the head of your wife. Men, you're the head of your wife. You're the head of your home. So by the grace of God, let us act like it. Christian men and women. Christian men and women need to study this matter and fervently pray about it for we truly need a return to biblical modesty. Let us pray. Lord, help us as men to run to the Lord Jesus Christ because there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Help us as women, as wives, as mothers, as grandmothers and grandfathers, as daughters, as sons. Help us, maybe particularly as men, but all of us to cut off a hand, to gouge out an eye. Lord, help us to be serious about holiness through the gospel. Please help us, Crossway Church, to have gospel zeal. Would you melt our hearts and our minds through beholding the love of God through the cross of Jesus Christ? May we walk in repentance and faith. Would you lead us? Lord, lead each member, each child of Crossway members, each regular attender. Oh, God, may we consider this most important topic of modesty and may we see it in light of the Lord Jesus Christ and your gracious provision. Lord, grant us to delight in you, to rejoice in you and in all of your commands. And we pray in Jesus name. Amen.